Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. And we are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast, January 11th edition, and I got a great guest for you guys today. Uh, he's a longtime friend of mine, longtime uh, former colleague, I should say. Uh, John Pollock is here on the program, man behind post wrestling, and of course, a veteran uh, wrestling and mixed martial arts journalist. John, how are you today? I'm doing tremendous, James. Now, you introduced me as a good friend and then corrected yourself saying former colleague. I, I hope I'm <laughs> I still said considered both. I said both. a friend of James Lynch. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I, I said both. Well, it's I good to both. be here nonetheless. No, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I know life's uh, really been uh, changing for you in, in a lot of different ways. And, and we'll sort of get into all that in a bit. But I always start the show off saying how uh, my guests and I have met. And you and I have met in person uh, plenty of times. We worked together for probably around three and a half years at uh, Fight Network, around there three, four years. And I was trying to remember, actually, I mean, I would have met you. Uh, this would have been October, no, November 2008. So we're going way back here, uh, back mm -hmm. at the old Fight Network studios on Wellington, which uh, if you remember, this was, I started right after they did sort of the the big sort of the purge, right? Because I think when, when I was working there, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there was like 20 people working there, not even, there might have been like 15. It was like super bare bones operation. Is this ringing a bell at all? Yeah, definitely. The summer of 2008, that was probably where we were, we had expanded to our largest and there was a huge series of cuts i want to say july uh, of 2008 and a ton of people were let go and it was just a really brutal uh cut so i guess you came in the wake of all that on did, did you start as an intern there i did start as an intern i came over from the score uh things weren't working out there i wasn't having a good time over there so i actually i came over to to fight network because if you remember um mark scott uh this is really going back a long ways who was an editor there mark and i went to school together and mark was interning there and he's like hey man why don't you come over to fight network and i was and i was a big mma fan so i was like sure let's do it and uh chris tapanella was actually the one i had my interview with if you remember a uh, good old tapper chris tapanella that's <laughs> great i haven't seen that guy in in years and years uh yeah. but Chris was an awesome guy. Yeah. So you came on. Um, I remember that time period because we weren't in that building for much longer. No. I mean, this was when Fight Network was 
touch and go, to say the least, in late early to more scaled down studio, which, as I recall, was a converted dance studio. Yeah. And literally, um, me and Way started doing a podcast out of a converted broom closet, which became the voiceover booth at that place. Yeah, I do remember that. And I remember to do voiceovers, you had to go in the booth and then you had to go back to the other room to see if it actually recorded properly. Do you remember that? Or you needed someone in the other room to make sure it was recording. Do you remember this? Oh, it was like, if you could have seen this operation out of that building, which we were there for like three years, it was, yeah. it was terrible. Like there was yeah. the studio in there. I'm using studio with like the most liberal use of the term that that was there. It was just like this giant area and it was just a makeshift television studio that we were forced. Like it was just so bare bones those years where we had so little to work with. Now, as far as you, you and I actually working together, cause I, I know when I first started, I was just editing um, uh, long events. I was doing like, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like some wrestling promotion out of the UK. I think I was editing. Um, it wasn't impact. It was something I, I forget what it was. But anyways, I was doing that, but I'm trying to remember the first time you and I actually did something together. And I do remember this. I don't know if it was the first time, but do you remember the Jim Ross uh, documentary interview thing you did? I remember I edited that and uh, you were doing the, you know, the, obviously the interview with him. We had to put all the stills together. Um, does this ring a bell at all? I mean, I mean, I know, you know, the Jim Ross thing, but uh, do you remember? Okay, I've got, I've got a very funny story with that Jim Ross interview. So okay. I had, in early 2010, uh, Way and I and George Barbosa, who's a very talented editor, the three of us uh, started working on this Bret Hart. Uh, what turned, it went from like a five-minute feature into a full-blown documentary that we ended up doing in about three months. Was very happy with this documentary, the end product. And at the end of it all, uh, Jim Ross, who was still with uh, World Wrestling Entertainment at the time, he would do a weekly blog and he wrote about our documentary. And that's how I kind of first made contact with Jim Ross and he was going to be at this annual um, uh, it's this convention of like older retired wrestlers, people in the industry called the cauliflower alley club. So I ended up getting the okay to go down there and do a sit down interview with Jim Ross. And then we'd come back and we'd air it on the network. Simple enough. And then I remember in the whole editing process there, like I was kind of asked my input on stuff of just uh, putting together like a sit down interview and I remember one person, and it wasn't James, who uh, told me that, well, we'll split up the answers uh, in between boards with the topics. <laughs> and it was like, I went all the way down to Las Vegas. I did this sit-down interview, so we're going to cut my stuff out so that we can put the text, like, Jim Ross talks about WWE and into his answer. I was like, I'm there. I did this interview. It took a yeah. lot of work. And the response was, that's your ego talking. Yeah. And I was just taken aback by this, that a sit-down interview, first of all, we're calling this thing one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> so we're going to have to rebrand this to one-on-none then, apparently, yeah. <laughs> because I am not to be part of this sit-down interview. It ended up airing with myself included, as I recall. But I just thought, this is the most the silliest fight that I'm having, that it's just clearly a better product here and less work to just set up like we're having a conversation where we're going to cut half the conversation out of it uh that's what i remember about that jim ross sit down interview yes i actually remember that as well and uh yeah that was not and it didn't luckily it uh it, it didn't end up happening right we never used the text we used your your questions in there didn't we yeah it, it that's how i recall and i think it's probably still on youtube somewhere oh yeah it, it, it was a very good interview so i yeah. really didn't want to 
uh, butcher this. And I would have said the same if it was any of our, our guys that were doing yeah. a, a sit down interview like that. Yeah, uh, no, for sure. Um, we'll get back to Fight Network in a second because there's lots of cool stuff we can talk about there. But let's let's go back to you as far as, uh, you know, I know the interest in uh, wrestling for you was very early on. But as far as getting into media, I know you went to Ryerson, you did the journalism program there. What, what was your first actual gig, whether it was an internship or anything like that, as far as getting involved in media? Uh, well, at Ryerson, I, w- I was in the radio and television arts program, separate from uh, the journalism program. Oh, okay, and- gotcha, yeah. Yeah, but it was it kind of just coincided um, with starting at Ryerson. Literally uh, Labor Day weekend, I got contacted by Jason Agnew, who was the co-host of Live Audio Wrestling, which at that time was airing on uh, Mojo Radio, which is 640 up here in Toronto. And their call screener was uh, leaving, and they just wanted to find someone that they knew followed wrestling and would be willing to work for free and give up every Sunday night. And they thought of me and I jumped at the chance. I was, I was completely, uh, I like, this was my favorite radio show. So to come in and do call screening, I was like, this is an, this is a way in the door at a major radio station in Toronto. So right as I started university, I started call screening with the law and ended up just, uh, dedicating all my Sunday nights from, I'd get there 10 at night and be there till, one in the morning and also doing that just led into more stuff. I was already doing some stuff with the website, but that was kind of my entry level into an actual position at a, with a radio station, an unpaid one, but still a, a spot. Yeah. And uh, who were the hosts at the time of the show? Was was that back when Jeff Merrick was doing it or was that, is that after? And I would say two months after Jeff Merrick had stopped regularly hosting the show because he was moving towards uh, all of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, coverage on the station because AM640 had the rights to all the Toronto Maple Leafs games. So right. he was heavily involved there and making the transition over to hockey. And anyone in Canada is very aware of uh, Jeff Merrick and kind of his resume yes. now at Sportsnet. So, uh, yeah, he was doing live audio wrestling prior to that. So it was Jason Agnew and Dan Lebransky were the two hosts when I came on. And they were the hosts I was working with the entire time during the run of the law. So Fight Network launches in Toronto. Uh, I got the date here, September 22nd, 2005. How long after that, or, or was it right then, when you started working there? Because I remember you were one of the guys who was there, it seemed like, from the beginning. Yeah, I started before it launched, actually, because okay. in January, it was weird. Because Jeff Merrick was still uh, because he owned the name. He had helped launch the show. So he ended up selling the show to the Fight Network who wanted to have a radio property. And that's when we were informed. We were called in. We assumed they were just gassing the show. That's, that was our thought process. And instead they said, no, there's this new digital company, this new digital channel that is called the Fight Network and they bought the law. And it was kind of their, their only property at that time because the channel hadn't launched. And several months after that, I had finished my second year of university and they brought me on to work that entire summer and I was just working full time that summer. And that was that was my first paid position within the industry after working for a year and a half, um, just volunteering at, at the law. So started with the Fight Network April 2005. And then I was there. I would say I was probably like the sixth or seventh per- person hired at the Fight Network. Very, very small uh, group at that time, uh, which was at the same Wellington office you worked at, though we were a floor below, which was much smaller. And then it launched in September. 
Interesting. Now, when did Wei uh, get hired there as well? Because it seemed, I mean, you guys went to school together and everything. I think that's how you guys sort of knew each other. But, but when did he sort of come on board? We went to school together and it was only a few, it was right around the time I started at the Fight Network because I had never met Wei in my, like, we just were never in classes together. And it was funny. We were in this, we were in second year, ended up being in a class together. And I was talking to my friends this must have been a Monday. So I was talking about the radio show I work on from the night before. And this person behind me says, are you John Pollock from the law? And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's never happened to me before. Anyone recognizing me. And he introduced himself and that was way. And shortly thereafter, like a month or two later, the Fight Network needed to hire interns. So I did like some email blast uh, to all the people in the radio and television arts program. And way was one of the people that, uh, applied to be an intern there. And I just vouched for this guy. I was like, listen, this guy's familiar with the radio show. He'd be a, a great person to bring on. So he was one of the three interns that they hired. Wow. Now, when you said you got hired, you know, doing uh, full-time work at Fight Network, uh, leading up to that, was there another job you were doing that was sort of paying the bills? Or how were you sort of uh, able to, you know, sort of make an income when you were taking these unpaid uh, gigs, like you were mentioning? Well, it worked out well because in the fall of 2004, pre-Fight Network, yeah. um, since I was doing the law at AM640, uh, 640 was also looking for just regular operators for just to work the board, and I was able to get in that way. So I was doing uh, regular shifts at 640 at the time, and then I'd do the law for free on top of it. So when I came to the Fight Network, I was balancing both for about a year, which just became very, very difficult because my entire week was at the Fight Network. And then I would get just like the awful Friday overnight shift. And then you're back Saturday morning because the scheduling is just insane. And it was like a year of that, of just juggling the two before I ended up finally just um, sticking with the Fight Network and leaving 640, which so coincided with the law going to another radio station. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I do remember that. Now, when did you get uh, on air? Because I remember when I started there in 2008, you were already on air at that point, I think for a little bit. Um, but when when did you sort of get promoted from there? Because uh, not just like, you know, on air on the, on the radio station, but also like on, on camera. On, uh, I, they were very open to me, like uh, letting me go out, do some interviews and stuff like that. So that's how I started on the radio. And on the TV side, it was really interesting and it was kind of a good lesson to, to go through and learn for people that are kind of starting at that level is that I started as like a university student and I kind of had that label as being kind of a entry level employee. So when people were pitching to have me on television, use me for stuff, uh, it, it was met with like resistance that I was looked at kind of like an intern that I, I'm sure James, you've probably experienced too. It's, the first perception people have of you that sometimes can be very difficult to overcome. So I would say the first generation of the fight network, I, I wasn't really getting those opportunities. I probably wasn't ready to be getting them anyway, mm -hmm. but it's like, there was, I, I remember that there was, um, they had an event with George St. Pierre at this in Toronto, and I was going to host a Q and a, and one of the people at the fight network heard about this and immediately just got somebody else to replace me because they were like, well, we need, for lack of a better term, we need a professional to be doing this. So right. it was stuff like that, that you kind of just have to, you just have to swallow your pride and just say, Hey, it's a, uh, it's, it's the journey. You got to go through stuff like that. And sometimes it's uh it's humbling. That's fine. So the second generation, which is kind of when you came on and you saw a management shift, 
then I was looked at very differently because I wasn't the university student anymore. I was at a university. I was producing a daily radio show with Moro, who was always a big backer of mine and, and doing all of the, the new stuff on the site. And I think I was looked upon in a different light. And that kind of opened up the doors to do more on-air television work. And, you know, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Mauro Ronallo, uh, who was there at the time when I was there, and then obviously was there, uh, you know, a while with you as well. Um, Mauro really respected you. Uh, that's something I know is tough to to get from him. Uh, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's a very hard worker. He's very relentless. But he always seemed to have your respect. Um, did that come sort of right away, or was that sort of later on when he sort of saw the work you were doing? I mean, me and Mauro always kind of uh, clicked right off the bat, and because with Moro's situation, he was hired by the Fight Network. It was October 2006, and they moved him all the way from BC to Toronto. And like at that time, James, like we were not just could go live in the studio and we'd have a daily show. Like there were all these ideas, but nothing was formulated. So Moro came here and he would joke that he was the highest paid internet surfer in the industry because that's what he was doing every day. He didn't have... Uh, an outlet. He didn't have any kind of show. And then him and I got to get Fight Network Radio, which was airing on Sirius. It was a daily uh, satellite radio show that started in May of 07. So that's when we were working together every day. And we, we'd have our issues together. Like we'd have, you know, the good and bad, but the good certainly outweighed the bad. I think ultimately he really respected my work and, and likewise. And to be honest, like the one blow up I could only remember with him was live one day on the radio show because I was kind of like the second there. Like if he needed yeah. to bring someone on, he would bring me on. So off the top of the show, we do this thing called the, it was just like a news cast essentially for the first 10 minutes. And we try to get sound from people, whether it be pre-recorded comments. Sometimes we would try and get someone on live just to come on for 30 seconds. And this was nuts. So I'm playing clips as I'm also getting, I want to say Sean Tompkins on the line just to get ready for his live hit. So I hit the wrong pre-recorded clip as I'm on the phone and Moro hears the wrong clip. And he just made some comment like, you know, if it's too hot then get out of the kitchen, if you can't handle it. And I remember just at the break and I said, if you ever call me out like that again, you can get a new producer. And after the show, he just came into the room, gave me a hug and after that point, like there was, I can't even remember having any kind of argument with him or anything like that. So, I mean, Moro was someone that, I mean, he didn't just hand out his respect willy nilly. I think you definitely had to, yeah. to earn it with him. And I, I think him and I had a very good rapport. Like to this day, he's someone I consider a very good friend. Yeah. And I, that's probably the moment where you really gained his respect because you stood up to him. I, I know, you know, it's, it's one of those things I know people like him where it's, you know, you got to, you got to kind of, you know, show, show your true colors and, and you certainly weren't uh, ready to back down there. So that's, uh, that, that's really awesome. Um, now, as far as, uh, you, you know, getting to do interviews and things like that, do you remember the first event you covered, whether it was uh, wrestling or, or MMA, um, the, going kind of back down on memory lane there? Um, I'm trying to think like, um, coverage wise because at that time we were doing like almost no travel like there was yeah. the first generation of fight network they were sending a crew down to vegas for all the ufcs but i was never part of that and then that dried up pretty quickly so it was and and given the fact like there was no professional mma in ontario at that time either 
Um, I'm trying to remember like the first event I covered, it wouldn't have been until I want to say maybe the MFC show in Niagara Falls would have been one of the first that like there were wrestling shows I'd go, but it's like wrestling is so different. You're not there covering it in the same traditional sense as you would an MMA event where there's, you know, there's fight week, there's interviews, there's media obligations, like a wrestling show very restricted in what talent would be presented to you. And really it's WrestleMania every year. Like that's the week that it feels like an event you're, you're covering in the traditional sense of covering it. So I would want to say like maybe um, an MFC show around 2010. um, I might've gone to when they came here to Ontario. Um, That might've been the first MMA show I covered. And then uh, it picked up quite a lot with like all the Canadian uh, UFC events. A lot of those I would be sent to. And and various uh, WWE events and up, I would say 2012 and beyond, where we'd be actually going and physically covering events. Yeah, and that was actually the time I left, which uh, was kind of interesting because uh, I remember seeing all the because you guys had the UFC uh, rights as well after that when Sportsnet, uh, you know, lost them or whatever, uh, getting the NHL contract and everything like that. Um, I don't know if you want to tell the story or not. We can we can pass if you want to, but uh, there was a point when Fight Network couldn't air any UFC footage. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that story or maybe explain why, but uh, but it was interesting. Like as an editor at the time when I was there, uh, we had to use still images. Do you remember this? Yeah, I mean there was a point where um, this would have been you know, 2005 until 2007, maybe even into 2008, like our UFC coverage was really solid because we were sending crews down there. We were getting incredible access. That's when uh, John McCarthy was working for us. Loretta Hunt was working for us. Of course, Morrow was with us. Um, So it was a really kind of strong presence we had. And then there was, and like, I never got the straight story about what exactly caused the UFC to, to lose to essentially lose our credentials and the story had always been that we aired a finish that we weren't supposed to air. Do you recall this? Yes, I do. No, no. I remember the story. And if I'm not mistaken, was it the Randy Couture, Gabriel Gonzaga fight? It that coincides. I think it was summer of 2007 that it, that would have ended. And so I don't know if that was the singular breaking point, but after that, like there was a definite big, issue between the UFC and the fight network to the point that uh, we, we sent a crew just to a press conference in Toronto and were escorted out. Like we were completely persona non grata with the UFC. So it was strange as things turned around. And then in 2015, uh, fight network ended up splitting the Canadian rights with TSN and kind of got back into that situation, but it was a long process to get back uh, in the to get back into the UFC, even allowing us to come cover events, and we had to do it from the outside, which to me was never the worst thing in the world. Um, I, I think that you can still cover without having credentials, without having access. I think, I think a lot of reporters and journalists today, you can you can still do the job w- without uh, credentials, but it was just maintaining a lot of relationships w- with fighters along the way, and it kind of the ice started to crack with. Uh, UFC 129 in Toronto. And I remember they were willing to give us like two or three credentials for people to go there, very limited access, but at least there, there was a Canadian office now in play and things ended up starting to smooth over. And I remember I did the weigh-in uh, highlight package for that event. Um, a lot of people asked me if I attended UFC 129. I did not because I- Neither did edit- I. Yeah, I had to edit the highlights that night. You remember this? See, I- 
it was such a big event that yep. the fact, like, I wanted to cover that event so badly, and yep. I just, like, I'm just not going to go to this event. Like, it was, because at that point, like, I had gone to a few shows. I went to uh, the UFC card in Montreal the year before that for the uh, the Shogun Machida rematch, and it was just like, I'm looking over at Press Row, and I was like, that's what I want to be doing. I don't want to be here just sitting, uh, nothing against, like, just being a fan for a night, but it was like, I want to be covering this. So, I'm not going to buy a ticket to 129. It's like when I go to a UFC, it's like I'd like to be covering it. So I didn't go to 129 either. You and I, two of uh, uh, two MMA media members out of Toronto, we did not go that night. You were at least working. I just ended up watching it at a friend's place. I think I had, if I remember correctly, I think I had to come in early because the event ended and they wanted the highlights up right away. And uh, I don't think he minds me mentioning his name, but I think it was Dave Rutherford who made that call and I had to go in early. And I, it was fine. Like, I think at the time I was just like, you know, I'm going to wa- I want to catch up on the event, everything else. And then I had to do the highlights and stuff. But at least I, I lo- sort of was highlights a part guy. of it. Highlights yeah, guy. Exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly, you know what? Exactly. Day after. Yeah. I don't know if you were the day after on that Sunday because mm-hmm. I got a call midday. I'm trying to remember who it was. So Randy Couture gets brutally beaten by Lyoto Machida. Yep. You know, t- ends up damaging his teeth. Like he's a mess. Session at the Bay at the Eaton Center, <laughs> and I get a call saying Randy Couture is. I think that maybe uh, this cameraman Tyler Thornley was going there just to shoot B-roll of Randy Couture. I think that was it because we yep. were just desperate for any kind of B-roll of of anything. We could do a news story on Randy. Randy losing this fight and just show some footage. So I get a phone call saying Randy doesn't want to do any interviews, but he'll do one for the fight network. And so I raced there, got, we, we had the camera. I got there, did a great interview with Randy. He just asked, Hey, can I just wear my sunglasses? I think was his request. And I was just super grateful that he, he would do this. View. And we're, we're dumping the footage and I get a call from one of the producers who I won't name, but you probably know who I'm talking about, James. And yeah. I just got reamed out for not clearing this interview with anyone ahead of time, for not doing going through the proper channels to book a camera. And uh, t- like I just pled ignorance that is like, listen, I didn't even know we have a process in place to book a cameraman. Like we were doing so little at that time. Yeah. It was like, I didn't even know we had a process in place. I was called stating Randy Couture is willing to talk to you. And I just got my ass over there to do the interview. So I didn't understand what the miscommunication was. But I was like, we got Randy Couture the day after his last professional fight talking to us exclusively. Like, this is a win for us. Why, yeah. are, we, why are we having a fight here? And that's what I remember of that weekend as well. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, that same person whose name I will not mention, one of the worst people I've ever worked for. So I, it does not surprise me to hear that. I didn't even know about that story. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, you brought up something there about, you know, having the restrictions of not getting footage and not being able to go to all these events and sort of whatever you could get, uh, you'd sort of put out there. And one of the things I think, uh, and I know you had a part in this as, in, as well. So I wanted to give you some credit for this is anytime there was any sort of event going on in Toronto, you guys would take advantage of it. And I, I really miss, uh, you know, the, I think it was called, was it the weigh in? What's the show that weigh used to do um where you guys would go sort the of like, yeah it was it was like the lighter side of you know mma and it was, it was called the way in uh, wai for way's name but i remember you guys went to some gala and uh way was just asking uh, all these celebrities questions about who they would want to fight and it was hilarious 
hilarious. Um, do you remember? I'm trying to remember which gala it was, but I remember you guys interviewed like Tom Cochran, I think. Um, I mean, that was something separate, I think. But there, there was another like gala you guys went to, and you were just asking celebrities that were there about fighting, and it worked out great because it was good content. And again, it's it's you guys sort of thinking outside the box, you know, not being able to travel to events and also, uh, you know, getting getting footage. Well, it was it was at the same time that yeah, we were just we were so limited with what we could produce. And it was like, Way is just, he's just got this unbelievable, like sense of humor that it's just like this incredible delivery he has that that segment just worked. Like to this day, people will bring up the way in and you can find them on YouTube. Like his interview with Gina Carano, that was just like, he did all these little bits that were just hilarious. And so he kind of really spearheaded that. I really had nothing to do with the way in. And then conversely, like I came up with this segment called politics where again, yeah. it was just, it was all bare bones stuff. Like we'd go on location. Like when, when the, the, the Ontario criminal code was such a big story and that here you had like this province is not willing to allow MMA. And I went to their headquarters and I just stood outside it and cut this big rant about it. And it was just like, it's a basic idea. And these were the kind of ideas that we could get away with doing. And so we would go to all Dave Rutherford, the, the uh, producer you mentioned earlier, like he just had connections everywhere. He'd get yeah. invites to all these different things so he could send way who suddenly was interviewing uh, Tom Cochran, for instance, and working in fight related questions that he could turn around. Um, myself, I got to go to NHL alumni dinner and started interviewing Brian Burke about concussions and hockey. And then he asked security to escort us out. And it was just all these kind of got like, kind of like guerrilla style where we just go as like credentialed media to these like high class events. And then we try and work in our fight related questions and then see what would come out of them. So it was just us kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick where we were just so restricted with what we could put on the air that it was kind of, Hey, you guys go out and create stuff and we'll give you a platform to at least put it out there. And that was kind of that era of the fight network for us. And, and it's too bad because you don't really see any content like that right now on some of the major sites, uh, you know, as far as thinking outside the box and producing something like that. And politics was a lot of fun. Um, I, I remember being your editor for it uh, towards the end of, of when it sort of came to the close. And I remember that Ottawa one, uh, you know, you being on Parliament and, uh, you know, do, about the criminal code. And it was great. And I also remember uh, grabbing all the blooper reel footage. Do you remember I used to take all the footage and uh, make like a compilation? That was uh, that was something I dearly miss uh, doing for sure. Yes. Yes. James would save all of our takes and such for whether it would be uh the, the christmas party at the end of the yeah. year but it was yeah you had just a, a great uh a great collection of all my all my screw-ups yeah there's there's one i'll never forget where <laughs> i just i so i'll try and dig it up somewhere i think i have it somewhere but uh there's the one where ram dean is doing uh they had it i think it was a strike force show or UFC, it was Strikeforce, I'm pretty sure, because uh, you guys were accredited to uh, Strikeforce at the time. And John Ramdean's doing a, um, like a, like, you know, just a stand up outside. Uh, the, I think it's the Prudential Center. It was called something else back then. And he, he's right near the highway, and some guy <laughs> drives by in his car and honks his horn. And you just see Ramdean go, idiot. And he's like, yeah, like, <laughs> 
<laughs> it was uh, it was it was excellent. Um, that that's the type of stuff that was uh, that I, I love. So I used to just archive it because we, if you remember, we had like a huge server, and I just like grab all the stuff off there and keep it on like my personal hard drive. Probably when I should have been doing work, but uh, that was that was definitely fun. Um, let, let's fast forward a little bit. So you know, post uh, you know me leaving Fight Network, and you know we're talking you know like 2012 and onwards. Uh, you get the you get the TV deal. You guys are going to events now. I remember seeing you guys going to all Canadian events and all the major ones and stuff. And then, of course, uh, you know, last year, year before, I want to say, yeah, it was, I think it was last year, year before. I'm trying to get my, my timelines mixed up. But they had sort of the big cuts. And, uh, you know, this, of course, was, you know, uh, Robin and uh, Ramdeen going to Vegas, doing some great coverage there. And then, uh, you know, out of nowhere, there, there's the layoffs. Um, at that moment, were, were you starting to sort of worry about what was happening with the future of the company? Because I know that also coincided with the purchase of uh, Impact Wrestling as well. Um, what was sort of the, cl- the climate like there at that point? I think that the cuts you're referencing were the ones from last March. And yes. and that was definitely like uh, the worst week I have ever experienced. Uh, mm-hmm. All the, all these people that have, you know, they've, they've reached out to me over the last few months and they were like, Oh, we feel so bad for you when I was cut. I will tell you, I, I took the cuts in March to my friends a hundred times worse uh, than my own. Uh, the March ones were totally out of left field. I was like, no one saw that coming. And it happened on a Tuesday, which was uh, my day off, actually, um, because I would work Sundays. It was like Tuesday was always like my day off. And I'm getting calls from people that are just hearing about who's been cut. And I'm talking to people that would end up being cut later in the day that were uh, here. I am like talking them down. It's like there's there's no way that you could be part of these cuts as well. And then it was just one after the other. So it was just an awful, awful experience to go through. And after that, like I'll I'll say it just, it was a totally different vibe um, at the fight network after those cuts, that was the elimination of our, of our news, of our original programming. Like we were doing daily, daily news. We were doing previews, post shows. I mean, it was just, we were all in on this stuff and then boom, it was done. And it left myself like in this weird limbo position. Like I felt like, why am I not part of these cuts? Like I check off all the boxes of what they are moving away from. Like, why would you want to retain me? And I think that they saw an ability with live audio wrestling, that this is something that at least has a following that we can hopefully uh, make money off of. And so, I mean, those next six months, I was largely just, I was left to myself I answered to nobody. It was not like I came in and I was, Hey, this is your, these are your tasks for the day, for the week. It was just, I worked with way and I just dove headfirst into all of our lost stuff. And I just kept myself busy um, as much I could, but yeah, I would have been crazy to have not seen the writing on the wall that, and we were pretty much warned that, you know, there could be another series of cuts here. I mean, this is the media industry as a whole. This is not exclusive to the fight network. This is not exclusive the TSN, to Sportsnet, to all the newspapers out there. I mean, it's just climate at all. So I knew that the next round, I would be part of them. I didn't know when it was going to be happening, but I think everyone understood. It was a totally different company afterwards. And and they made like a strategic decision that they were altering their focus from news, from original programming to uh, they were running Impact Wrestling. They've also got a number of other stations that they've launched under that umbrella. And and I think that, you know, from an unbiased point of view, I mean, cutting someone like myself made sense to the strategy that they were moving forward with. I mean, that I didn't have a role 
in the way they were taking the direction of the company. So, so March March was the, the turning point. Yeah, and and there was and you know people just think of the on air people like Ramdeen and Robin, but I mean behind the scenes, I mean there there must have been at least twenty people, if not more, uh, get, getting cut from there because I know you know people that I used to work with as well, you know, just sort of reaching out to me and you know sort of asking me what, what's going on and things like that, and it was it was an impact that was felt on on a many different levels. Um, so as far as you know, Anthem, which you know owns Fight Network, going out and getting impact, when did that take place exactly? Because I'm trying to remember the timeline here because the the you know the cuts came in March, and I know that them actually buying it, I believe, was a year before. Or was it not, or was it, or was it the beginning of the year? I can't remember. Well, they had had, uh, they were already airing Impact programming. And then, I mean, Impact was going through numerous um, financial problems. And that's when Anthem decided to, to purchase the company. And that happened in late 2016. Right. So, um, you know, I, I can't give you like a clear answer on what necessitated the cuts in March. Like yeah. it's, it's certainly... Uh, you look at a major purchase like that as certainly they're they're shifting their direction on things, but there were also like other mitigating factors that I think went into all of it of like how how the various channels were all performing and kind of finding your way through this this very much digital age where you're still trying to present um, a television channel that people are are going to pay for and multiples of them. It's beyond just the Fight Network. They have a fantasy sports network. They have other channels as well. So um, that's kind of the timeline of impact was late 2016 uh, that they they took over ownership of it. So as someone who's a fan of professional wrestling, as someone who covers the sport, when they made that purchase, what was your first reaction sort of at the time, uh, you know, when you'd found out? I, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was a good move. I, I look at, you know, just following the business of, of where it is like I didn't look at impact as something that was going to be an investment that was not going to come without gigantic hurdles to jump through. And I think they understood that. Like it was an enormous turnaround that they're still in the process of attempting uh, with impact. Like certainly you don't ever want to see any kind of industry you're covering that you would look at uh, a promotion folding as, as a good thing for the industry. It's not, it's, it's more people that are out of jobs. You want to have, as someone in the media, you want to have as many thriving companies as possible uh, for your own coverage uh, to be going. I mean, in the MMA space, I mean, a, a World Series of Fighting, PFL disappearing, I don't think that's good for the MMA industry at all. Um, but I looked at it um, at the time that, listen, this is um, a really tough de- decision you're making by going all in owning content has its its positives but it's also a ton of money you're going to have to put in this thing just to keep it running and no guarantee that there's going to be that return on investment at the end of things and i mean i can look at it objectively enough that it was ultimately they had to choose between the old version of the fight network and their new version of kind of content ownership and and promoting a, a wrestling company. So they, they saw that shift and I, I'd be lying if I said, I thought it was a, a, a smart purchase to, to make at that time in 2016, just given the track record of impact at the time. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. And it was a major crapshoot of if this thing can turn itself around. I think most people looking at your career would sort of call you more of a host than say a journalist. I mean, you're known for more, you know, being on the, you know, being on the law and doing your interviews and things like that. And also, you know, all the hosting stuff you're doing at Fight Network. But did that put you in a bit of an awkward position with the fact that they, you know, you're supposed to also be a reporter and, you know, impact is owned by the company that you're working for. I mean, there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. And then on top of that, you know, the UFC has got rights with you guys, um, you know, and you're an MMA reporter as well. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. Was that ever something that was an issue for you at all? You know, did something you struggled with at all? Uh, I mean, I, I think for any uh, reporter that's, you know, covering this, um, I think more so than anything, it's just a perception that someone's going to have on you, that they're going to assume um, if it, just to bring it into like a, a Toronto scope, that if you are a reporter on Sportsnet or the Fan 590, that there's that attachment Rogers has to the Toronto Blue Jays, for instance, that I I can say personally, like I didn't go through that that issue at all because mm-hmm. um, my coverage never changed day to day. Of like all of our UFC coverage, never once was I was I told, hey, it, it's these are the new ground rules. There was nothing like that. We would be story warranted praise. I think we gave it, and when it deserved criticism. Uh, none of us were hesitant about that as well. And I continued that. Uh, I mean, it becomes it becomes difficult when you're reporting on your own company. But I found myself in the middle of that in many different situations. And I, I just I can speak for myself that I was really proud about the way I carried out uh, my coverage over that past year. It would have been very easy on my part to just say, well, uh, I'm just not going to cover impact. But Yeah, that's part of the that's part of the industry. It's a major part of the industry that I'm going to provide that coverage. And if they have an issue with my coverage, this isn't a place then I would want to be at. So and, you know, the it was it was simple. It was you cover the UFC, you cover impact, you cover the WWE. 
as as you should. You be fair. You don't go out and slander anybody, but you present coverage with the same critical viewpoint that you would for any of the companies that are out there. And that's that's always been my tact. I think anyone that's ever worked with you and uh, myself included uh, would say that you're, you know, one of the most professional people that, that people could work with. I'm not just saying that because you're on the show, but I think you've always sort of carried yourself in a manner that was, that was, you know, exemplified professionalism, whether it was, you know, not losing your cool or, you know, always, you know, uh, doing well under pressure. Was there anyone that you sort of modeled yourself after, you know, was there any sort of early mentors that you really sort of looked at and said, Hey, I want to be like that. Or was that sort of something you developed on your own? I think that when I started, I, I certainly looked at, at the kind of, uh, when it came to kind of presentation, interview skills, I certainly looked at, at Jeff Merrick because here was somebody in a position that um, when I was in high school, I mean, it was like the idea of covering wrestling didn't seem like any kind of, uh, it wasn't even a job that existed. Uh, but uh, seeing what he was able to do and being able to, uh, cover pro wrestling, cover MMA, and then later hockey as well. Um, he was someone that I would say was pretty influential uh, during my early portion, my entry level into the industry. And then throughout, I mean, I just look at kind of the template of any reporter, any journalist out there that I think it's very important that you're never one that is, everything is positive. There's nothing wrong with anything. And conversely, everything's awful, everything you've got to criticize. It's like either side to me, that's, that's not the way to be going about things. I mean, you have to just simply, you're asked your, your opinion. People will value your opinion. I don't think that, that we're in an era anymore where it's just, you are simply a disseminator of news and you're not going to have opinion attached to it. But I think you can do it in an informed way, in a respectful way as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with professional criticism of an issue. And I don't know, I don't, I don't think I necessarily uh, model myself after anyone specifically, but I think after a while you, you just find your own natural style. I'm sure yourself, James, when you first conducted your own interviews, you have someone else's voice in mind. You have certain people that you're, you're hoping to at least be uh, similar in presentation to. And after a while you'll find your own voice comes through uh, with, with your own interviews and such. And I'm, I'm sure everyone goes through that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right on that. It's, uh, you know, I expose myself to as much media as I can. And I sort of just take a blend of what I think is good and sort of put it together and, and sort of see what happens. And uh, yeah, it's it's sort of uh, made, made my own style there. Uh, one thing you touched on there was the fact that once the, the cuts happened in March, uh, the climate sort of changed going forward. At that point, were you already thinking of an exit strategy just with the fact that it was sort of, you know, shaky ground going forward uh, with the Fight Network? See, at, at that point, I definitely like wasn't uh, just burying my head in the sand. It wasn't, oh, well, the these cuts happened. I'm sure the worst is done. It was always, well, there could be another round. And I was, I was positive I'd be part of the next round, just given my position and where I saw things moving. So naturally, you think about, okay, well, what, what would be your strategy here if, if you were just informed that you were gone? And that's when... You know, you start to put stock into just, you know, what your options are out there. And it's difficult because you, you're not really aware of what your options are until it actually occurs. So, I mean, I kind of had in mind that, I mean, for years, this goes beyond just the past year, was that myself and Way, I think we always felt that we wanted to have our own, our own outlet, something that we control and that we own. 
I mean, it's, it's great to have a, a platform that is willing to hire you, that is willing to pay you a salary. There's a great stability in that. And, you know, to, to be like completely honest, like we were given all the freedom in the world at the Fight Network. Like when we had an idea, it was not like it had to go through these different channels and then there's an approval process and then uh, someone has to go through our content, edit it, and then there's a polished product at the end. It was like all of us, just you come up with an idea, you can do it. And we were kind of on an island and that can be good. That can also be bad depending on your job circumstance. But it was always, I think both Way and I could acknowledge that we hit a ceiling at a certain point and the options at that point were, I mean, do you, do you quit your job? And that to me was not an option that I was, I was looking at, at at that point in time, but it was certainly something that, you know, I'd, I'd revisit in my head of like, if I, if I ended here, I would certainly want to just go for it and try something on my own because it would have been a huge regret of mine if I didn't try that, if I had just jumped on somewhere else and, and who knows, maybe in a year, I'd be part of another round of cuts, perhaps it's, it's possible. And I think that uh, both of us just felt we owed it to ourselves to at least try something on our own and we can either succeed or fail on our own merits. And we'll talk about that in one second, because again, I appreciate uh, you kind of talking about your backstory and, and not as much about uh, post-wrestling, but we will in just one second. But I did have one more question. How did you find out you were let go at Fight Network? Did they bring you into the office? Did they call you? How did that sort of come down? And uh, and then, you know, sort of how did that lead to, to you know, coming up with the idea for post-wrestling? Uh, it was it was just simply called into an office and like, you know, it, it, it was a completely, you know, decent meeting. I mean, decent as much as you can say about, Hey, we're restructuring. Like there was no ill feelings about it. And yeah. it was, you know, this was a situation where it's like, okay, great. Within an hour, I would say that um, me and Wayne knew exactly what our, our plans were that we were, it's like, okay, we have no excuses now not to push forward with this. We've talked about it. Now it's time to actually um, put some action behind what we've wanted to do for a long time. So um, there was no mourning process. There was no, oh no, what am I going to do now? Um, you know, those are kind of, uh, you know, you, you could just feel bad for yourself, but there, there was none of that for me. It was just simply, Hey, it's, you had a good run here. Um, I was there for a lot, 12 and a half years is a really long time at any one place. So that was it. It was just, Hey, this is what we're doing. Sorry about things. And, and that was it. It was like, you have all the time you want to just, uh, take your things and thanks a lot. So that was it. It was a very straightforward process. It wasn't really anything involved, probably a three, four minute discussion. So I found out about this on Twitter because I saw you post something. And if you remember, I was supposed to be on your radio show that week. So I'm like, I guess I'm not, I actually, I think you messaged me and you're like, so about coming on the show this week or something like that. It's like <laughs> a funny message. Um, so, so that's how I found out. So, you know, every social media erupted at that point, finding out that you had left, you know, that you were front, gone from the fight network. You don't have to mention any outlets, but were there were there a lot of offers after I imagine a guy like yourself who, you know, can sort of do it all as far as, you know, being a host, being a radio guy, being an editor, all these things. Uh, were there lots of offers on the table after that? There, there was a pretty strong amount. Like I I heard from a lot of different people. And I mean, it's I'm very grateful that I heard from so many people because, I mean, it gives you at the very least like this peace of mind. That's like, OK, I can like the worst case scenario is that I can. I can navigate and piece something together um, if Wei and I couldn't get something going on our own. But at that point, it was 
it was all kind of like, I couldn't really pursue much at, at that point that, that very week. And it was, I kind of had my head set on me and way at least getting this thing up and running, but I, I was very, very fortunate to hear from a number of different outlets that at least wanted to explore talks. And I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to name who, but oh, I was, I was very thankful to to all of them that they reached out because you know, when, when you go through something like that, you don't know. You know maybe maybe there'd be nobody that really saw much much value in your work. So uh, to hear from those people, it kind of reassured you that, you know, there's there's definitely life after. Did any of the big, uh, you don't have to, again, you don't have to mention any names here, but did any of the big MMA sites that, that we all know, uh, did any of them reach out? Did you see yes or no? And then we can move on from here. Um, it was definitely more so wrestling than MMA. And okay. I don't know. And I don't know, like on the MMA side, like some, um, okay. but, but again, like a lot of these were like, it never got to like solid, but like there were some solid concrete offers that came and then others, it was just kind of like assessing like what the interest level was. But uh, yeah, it was definitely, it was interesting. Some of the people I hear, I heard from, I'll say that. Well, and, and it's, you know, it's interesting to see sort of what you're worth. I mean, you don't really know at the time when you're working somewhere for so long and I mean, anything like that. And then to, to get the feedback you get, it's, it's interesting. Cause, uh, you know, like when I, when I quit my job and people knew that I was doing this full time, it was interesting. Some of the things that were being discussed, um, you know, on my end. And I was surprised because, you know, you don't really know when you're sort of in the midst of, of doing things. So I'm really happy to see that, uh, you know, people recognize the work that you're doing. And I think that's, uh, that's great. So the name post wrestling. Where did that come about? Who decided on that? Because um, I was just curious if there's anything sort of behind that. Yeah, we we spent way too much time on the name. I mean, we went through so many different ideas and it would be like we'd settle on one and then the next day one of us would be like, ah, it's just, it doesn't work. And never been a big, uh, I've never had a big hang up on the name of something. To me, it's always, well, if if it's something of good quality, it's like the name is completely irrelevant. Like the the content will define the name. Um, a bad name is not gonna. So I I give credit to Way. Way was the one who first thought of post wrestling, and it kind of had like so much of our content are our post shows. Um, so there was that natural tie in. There was also uh, it kind of gives it kind of a, a newsy feel as well, using the term post and. And then Wei like also came up with like the acronym of uh, Pollock Offsets Ting. And at a certain point, like we were just going through all these names and we were just like, post-wrestling it is. We just have to go forward with this because until we settled on the name, it was like, then you can go register the URLs and trademarks and create a logo. And it was all that. And it's like, we're, we're holding ourselves up here based on a name. And uh, now that we've launched it, it's like, I love the name. So that was kind of the genesis of it. And I would encourage everyone out there that if you have a name, even if you're only lukewarm to it, as long as you don't hate it, I mean, just go with it. Don't, don't spend weeks uh, agonizing yeah. over a name. It's just, it, it really, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a name. And I like that sort of, you know, to the point, very sort of quick. Uh, it's not something that it's complicated. doesn't have like a long. You Easy know, to spell to too. I mean, it's, it's not something yeah. you have to, that was my one rule was nothing where I have to explain it uh, with, uh, Go to this this URL and this is how you spell it and anything complicated. Post wrestling, everyone knows how to spell post in wrestling. So that's that's my one lesson. Okay. Good stuff. Now, as far as uh, you know, paying the bills and everything, I know you guys have a Patreon and I know that's gone extremely well. Um, is there is there any sponsors involved as well? Like what's sort of the, the vision as far as you know keeping this thing afloat? 
right now it's yeah we we launched the patreon to coincide with the website so that's up at patreon.com slash post wrestling so right now it's uh the patreon that we have and advertising is something that we're we're kind of like in the midst right now of exploring and looking at what we're comfortable with doing and not making any like giant changes to the free shows i think that uh both of us you know realize that like advertising can be uh you know it can help us be very sustainable so at this point we haven't really entered that world yet and we're kind of uh debating it uh as we speak so right now uh it's the patreon which the 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 level of outpouring has been i mean it's blown our minds the the past uh two and a half weeks uh when we launched this thing we didn't go in with any expectation level. We didn't have, well, we can hopefully hit this figure. It was such a shot in the dark, James, because our shows had always been free. It was like, we weren't in a position where we needed to charge people for shows when we were at the law. So to go from a free product to kind of a combination where we, we do free shows every week, but we also have one paid bonus show each week uh, through the Patreon. I didn't know. I was like, maybe some people don't, they like us, but not enough that they're willing to spend any money on. So I, I think that our biggest attribute has been, we've built up a lot of goodwill with our listeners. And I think a lot of people can sense that. And, and that's been huge for us is kind of that relationship uh, with our listeners that have supported us during this move. And what is it primarily? It's, you know, you guys doing the podcast, you guys doing the shows. I know you do a lot of, you know, sort of review uh, shows, you know, from, from events, you know, WWE, Raw, SmackDown, all that stuff. But what, what sort of, what, what's sort of the, the catalyst for the site sort of going forward? Uh, so the site at postwrestling.com, I mean, we've got um, constant news updates. Uh, try to get uh, a big news update up every day, along with whatever major issues are occurring. And then we, our key shows, the free ones, are reviews of Raw and SmackDown each week. And then we do a bonus show each Friday, which um, features our Rewind Away series, which is where we go back and review a classic show. And and that is all kind of Patreon supported. And on top of that, we're in the midst now of adding some other shows uh, as well that we uh, have worked with in the past, incorporating them and kind of getting everything up and running. Like we went in with kind of very measured expectations. And here we are three weeks in, I didn't expect us to be here until probably six months in. So uh, the response on the Patreon has greatly accelerated things. I'm still trying to figure out like the MMA coverage on the site, which I definitely want to have. Uh, I'm not doing any MMA shows on the site yet, but it's something that I would, I'm definitely looking to expand upon. And it's more or less just the time involved and coming up with it with a schedule that's manageable. Would you call that then post MMA on it or would you still stick with the post wrestling name just with MMA coverage? Cause uh, I can see people, you know, that kind of being a bit muddled a bit. Yeah, probably something like post MMA. Yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. Um, what, what's sort of the, the, you know, the future hold is, is it just a sort of, you know, uh, just the two of you do this going forward or are you looking to bring on other people? Have, have you sort of thought that, that far ahead yet? At, at this point, it's the two of us pretty much running this. And then we've got t- some other people that are contributing as well to the site, but it, it's generally me and way on the day-to-day operations. So uh, it's, it's still, again, we're, we're two and a half weeks in. So like we're, we're at a much adva- much more advanced stage than we anticipated being at. So I can't tell you right now that by the time we get to April or May, I mean, maybe we are looking at expanding more that, than we anticipated in, in year one. So at this point, we're trying to keep things uh, essentially to the day-to-day with uh, myself and Way, but it's 
there's a lot of interesting opportunities that have been presented to us uh, just over the last couple of weeks that um, it seems like a lot of opportunities that we didn't have before that now uh, we can control a lot more. And whether that is uh, doing like live shows, uh, we're going to be going down to New Orleans in April to host this event called a uh, Wale Mania. We're going to be hosting nice. a podcast panel there. So it's just a lot of di different ideas that we're now coming up with some merchandise ideas and kind of like we're in control of all of this. I mean, what before, you know, might've just been an idea. It's like now, like the only thing holding us back is just ourselves. Like we can, we can execute a lot of these plans and are finding it's, it's doable. It's a lot of the things that we want to have. It's not too straining. Um, as long as it makes sense, I think though, those are different avenues we can explore this year. So it's, it's very fun. It's like a great period of time to like, just to have your own name on something and you're in control of it. It's like, there's a certain satisfaction that you're just not going to get um, where you're just not, not in control or not owning something. How has your day-to-day -day been, especially being a, a new father, uh, which I know, you know, happened back in August. Um, you know, how's that been sort of doing this new project and then also being a dad? It's insane. It's a, it's a lot. I mean, you're in the exact same boat as I, I mean, we're, we had children two months apart. Um, yeah. So uh, so my son was born back in July. Oh, July. And, okay. Yeah. So this period, I mean, it's, I've always been very good with time management. I think that's one of my keys is that I could always keep a lot of different balls up in the air and juggle them. So this is, it's clearly like my secret is having uh, my wife who is just incredible in terms of just um, being at home with the baby while, especially these last two weeks where, uh, like I've been up at night up until like my eyes are just giving out on me. It's just like, I want to be doing all of this and it's just sheer exhaustion. So it's late nights and then very early mornings uh, for myself. And a lot of it is just managing. So it's like, I kind of dedicate my time during the day from up early around six, six thirty, spend an hour with the baby. And then it's going out working for the day and then come home for an hour or so before bedtime. And then the evening, it's back to work as well into the evening. So uh, it hasn't left me with a whole lot of free time, but it's uh, to be doing this, this work at this time, that, that is my, my free time now. So it's very little, uh, very little social time, James, but uh, I'm oh, managing this, this schedule. So that, that's it. It's just juggling everything and, and making things work. So as long as you can kind of have a firm schedule, which I don't know how you do when you have 500 interviews per day, but uh, you're probably <laughs> in the exact same spot I am. Yeah, great wife and uh, good time management as well. I'm Time management's like key for me. I'm up early. I like doing stuff early in the morning. So if I can get up at five every morning, take my son for a bit, go to the gym, uh, do some work in the morning, then do my interview sort of the bulk in the day. And then I can kind of, uh, you know, figure it out from there. But, you, you know, you can make it work. People who say they don't have time, you got to re really look at your schedule and see if you can uh, make it work. So is that what you were describing there? Is that pretty much every day, seven days a week? Is that that's sort of what, what it looks like as far as your schedule goes? Pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, in, in an ideal world, it's like you could kind of uh, like I try to leave Saturday during the day somewhat open and knowing, though, that, you know, Saturday in combat sports or for MMA, Sunday for pro wrestling, those are pretty big days. Those are big event days, uh, typically. And there's just there's more product than ever to cover. So it's it, it's again, it's just being very good with your time. And there's like certain days like a Saturday. Like I, you know, a portion of that day off because it's like I'm pretty much going 
Monday to Friday that you have to have that, that time period to kind of just turn all this stuff off. But, you know, if a major story is occurring, you, you sometimes have to, to break that. It's, it's hard to have kind of a, a set pattern that, well, this day I'm going to kind of just, uh, turn off my, my computer. It's, it's difficult when it's, especially for like a two man operation. So it's, it's, uh, relying two on way a lot for, for other stuff as well. When one of us maybe has, uh, other commitments. Yeah, I, uh, I have, yeah, I have an interesting situation coming up this weekend. Um, first time for me, actually, I'm going to be alone with my son, uh, for like more than 24 hours because my wife has to go to a oh, wow. bachelorette party and we got the UFC card in this weekend. And like, I'm going to try and watch it if I can, but it's going to be difficult because I got to pay attention to my son and keep him stimulated. So that's, that's an example too, where like, I can't even plan anything on the weekend because I just have to focus on being a good dad and making sure my son's, you know, getting his diaper changed and, and being stimulated and going for his naps and getting fed and all that. So it really sort of throws a wrench in things. So when you mention that i can completely relate so it's uh what, what time does what time does your son typically do you put him to bed at night and we does he him, sleep we well bed, yeah uh, it's hit or miss um you know he sleeps around seven o'clock uh you, we try and put him to bed around seven or eight and then he'll usually sleep for a couple Same. hours wake up in the middle of the night but see i'm not up at night that's the one difference my wife stays up all night and does that and then i sort of take him in the morning and get my wife you know she wants some sleep she'll do that and then in the afternoon or, or in the evening sometimes i'll take him and then she can again do other stuff or whatever so i kind of i'm just up early so i'm able to get a lot of stuff done ahead of time and that's sort of how we tackle it but i'm not up that late usually like i you know i try and be in, in bed before midnight for sure yeah with, with us i mean we're pretty blessed that he's a pretty good sleeper i mean he does get up like a few times in the middle of the night which uh yeah my, my wife similar to yours tends to him at that point and then i yeah. kind of i try as often as i can i'll be the one that wakes up with him at six and then my wife can sleep for a bit longer um but i mean he sleeps pretty well and we're in this we're in this grace period right now where we will put him down for a nap or bed and he's asleep right now within a minute and I know this isn't going to last. And I know that teething is coming. But yeah. at this point right now, like, he's sleeping very well. And it's, uh, we'll, we'll see how long this lasts. Yeah. And, and I want to tell a quick interesting story about, uh, you know, you being a dad is uh, I was talking to some of the guys I used to work with, uh, people that you worked with as well at Fight Network. And they told me that uh, you basically just said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be off next week, just so you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a father. Like you casually mentioned it. And I, I know you're kind of like, you know, you, when you go to work, you're sort of like, you know, in work mode or whatever. But I thought that was funny. We're like, there were, I know there were people at Fight Network who didn't even know that you're going to be a dad and you kind of kept it under wraps. Um, you know, is, is that just how you've always been as far as, you know, keeping things uh, personal and professional? Um, I mean, with this, like I told, I mean, it wasn't like a secret, but I was just, um, I don't know. I was somewhat superstitious just about telling a whole lot of people, um, mm -hmm. just ahead of time. I would rather be, uh, you know, the birth occurs and then it's like, you can, you can let everybody know. Um, so yeah. And I'm also, I'm not the type of person that's just going to go to work and just knock on everyone's door and say, Hey, <laughs> guess what? So yeah, I'm just, uh, l listen, I'm, I will tell you when I was, especially at like work, like people will listen to me on the podcast or whatever. It's like, I talk to death. Like I, I I'm a pretty introverted person when it's uh when I don't have a microphone in front of me. So I, I always kind of had this caution in my head. That's like, I hope I don't give off the, the feeling that I'm just this asshole that doesn't, uh, that would just work in the, in this corner office or whatever. Um, but no, I didn't, I, I didn't tell a ton of people like outside of family and, and really close friends. So yeah, I'm sure there were some that were like uh, surprised when all of a sudden I, I, 
just all of us. I, I told like my key people that I, I needed to yeah. tell at work saying, Hey, I don't know when I'm going to need two weeks off, but it's coming fairly soon. And it ended up being the week of the Mayweather McGregor press conference here in Toronto. That's right. That's right. Cause Cody, Cody Safik was there. I was there at the press conference as well. And I remember you weren't there. And then that's how I found out was that they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, John's a dad. I was like, what? It's like, I had no idea. So mind you, I, I hadn't talked to you that much anyways, cause it's, uh, you know, tough with schedules and everything, but, uh, but no, that, that, that's great. Um, we, we've gone over time here. We're about three minutes over. I'm not going to keep you much longer. I did want a couple just quick questions and we'll, we'll just sort of fire, oh, fire, sure. fire through these right away. Um, you know, you talked about going and doing a bit of traveling. Like is the plan to sort of be an accredited outlet and go to events as much as you can, whether, you know, you can get that Patreon support and go and travel. Is that part of your vision going forward or is it just, you know, staying and doing the shows sort of at home and everything else? No, I was I was actually talking about this last night with I was out with Mike Bond of MMA Junkie and I was kind of talking to him about like we do want to go cover shows where it makes sense and like for instance like WrestleMania weekend's a real big one and we're 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 very lucky this year that we're we're able to be brought down there to do to do a gig down there and look at events where we can do things such as like do a Q&A show, for instance, for listeners, do stuff like that, pair it with something that's attached to a big event. So if the event makes sense that we can, that there's a worthwhile reason for us to go, I, I think that a lot of outlets there, they will send people to events. It's like, what what is the return on this? And it's like, sometimes mm -hmm. it's just, you know, you get this blanket. Oh, it's like, well, our, our presence is, we need our, to have a presence somewhere. It's like, well, you also need to make this here. Once it's your money, once it's your business, I mean, you'll think of these things a lot more of just, well, you know, I'm not just going to throw off, like put together a big budget for ourselves. And then we, we don't get any value out of that. So for certain events, um, I think we will, we will travel a few times a year and for MMA events, like I'm curious, um, if they will credential us being a website now, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think that, so that's, that's kind of like our second phase is like really tackling like the MMA side of things and um, kind of what our, our coverage will be like for MMA. And it just seems like across the board, like just speaking to a lot of like friends of mine, it just seems like MMA at this point, like it's, it's kind of been a tough couple of, of months or so when it comes to just general day-to-day -day interest when it comes to mixed martial arts. I think that you have your key, like your big shows are going to be there every year. And I think when there's a major fight, that interest will spike and be as high as ever. But your typical fight night to fight night event interest, I don't know if the overall audience is as engaged as they were, say, two years ago. Uh, looking back on your career and, you know, I know post wrestling is, is sort of been, you know, just an incredible thing. And I'm so happy to see that, that it's worked out for you and way. Cause uh, you know, you guys work really hard and, and obviously you've, you know, put a lot into this. This was years in the making, but looking back, is there sort of one moment, one interview, one event you got to cover that sort of stands out the most as sort of like a proud career moment for you that, that you sort of look back on and say, Hey, that's why I love doing this. Uh, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of interviews that have gone really well for me. Um, you know, on, on the MMA front, I would feel that uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a uh, certain ones that have really stood out for me. I like, I'm really bad at going back and ever watching any of my stuff. And a lot of it just gets, yeah, I just kind of so move much on. And, uh, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you're constantly looking at what the next interview is that you don't really go back and look at one. One from it just comes to mind. I wouldn't necessarily put this at the top, but I was interviewing right after he won the the uh after he defended his title in cleveland 
against Alistair Overeem. And he's in the back, and I'm interviewing him. And then Fabrice Overdoom, like, walks into the shot. And I end up just, like, being, like, like Howard Cosell there in, the, like, the middle here. And all I'm thinking of is, like, if they book this rematch, they're totally going to steal this footage from us, or at least they'll, they'll want to use this footage. Uh, so that, that, I mean, comes to mind. Um, anytime you get to have an actual proper sit-down with a guy – I mean, I'm sure you can attest to, James. It's just, it's so much different than just the standard, like, you're going to get 10 minutes with this person, and you're interview number six out of 10, and, you know, it's fight week, they're cutting weight, they really don't want to be interviewed. Those are the ones where I always felt the most intrusive, that I felt like, I better make this worth this guy's time, because this is the last thing he wants to be doing. I'm just the latest media obligation. So, Whenever you got a guy that was outside of fight week that you could sit down with, preferably in person, and really just you don't have the clock ticking next to you, those were always the ones I, I kind of enjoyed the most was when you got to speak with someone just they're not hyping a fight. They're not in a rush to get to the next interview. It's not just the same standard answer. Those are the ones that stand out. Unless their phone goes off during the sit down. Do you remember that happened with Tom Wright? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I have the blooper footage of that somewhere. I think, I think I still have it, but uh, you're, you're just, you casually wanna... played it off. You're like, you're like, Tom, I know you're a busy guy. And he's like, Oh, sorry about that, bud. And he just goes and like, <laughs> down or whatever. So. One interview that comes to mind for me, it's uh, like, for those that are familiar with the wrestler Kane, who is now running for mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. There was one time a WWE rep brought him into the office for an interview. And I do my like 15 minutes with him and he's, we finish up, and at the end of the interview, I see that my, my recorder is flashing. And as he's walking to the elevator, I realize my battery died a minute into the interview. Oh, no. Stuck oh. with the dilemma of, do I just go for it and just tell him what happened? And I go to the rep and him. My battery died a minute in. And the media person's kind of just looking at him for like an answer. And he's like, well, let's just do it again. And I, I, for the life of me, it's like, I was so grateful that day for this guy who could easily have just said, I gave you my 15 minutes. I got a dozen more of these to do today. And he just casually walked right back in. And I said, you know what? I'll change up the questions at least for your enjoyment. And he's like, whatever works, man. And he did another 15 minute interview for me. And it was like, that kind of a thing, it's like uh, you can't thank someone enough for doing that because I think a lot of people would have rightly just told me to F off. Like, dude, manage your, your battery life on your recorder a bit better. Yeah, I had um, I didn't have anything that bad, but I had I had a situation actually uh, this this year at UFC 213 where I was doing an interview with Valentina Shoshenko and partway through I realized I wasn't recording. And I was like, crap. So I had to like oh. re-ask my question in a different way just to get the same answer. And that was a bit tricky. So the interview ended only ended up being like five minutes instead of what should have been like 12 minutes. So it happens to the best of us. Um, my last question for you here. And again, I really appreciate the time. Um, just uh, any advice that you could give anyone watching this, whether it's they want to cover pro wrestling or, or mixed martial arts. Um, is, is there anything you sort of carry with you that, that, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of people asking you advice and things like that. Is there one thing in particular that you, that you give to people uh, who might be watching this? is just going out and doing it like don't let your affiliation with a with a website or a company uh prohibit you from just going out and doing it i mean it's like this kind of technology when i started it was like this didn't exist i couldn't do a video interview with you and we're we're live that people can tune in and watch it like the barrier for entry has 
just been completely blown over. So if you're just like a passionate person that wants to do this, like just go out and do it. Even if it's yourself, just getting comfortable getting reps in of appearing on, on screen or, or through a podcast, like you can set that up in less than an hour and don't even pay attention to the view count, to the downloads. You might have three people listening every week. That's three people that weren't listening to you last week. And probably if you're lucky, it'll grow to third and don't be turned off by the lack of people that are listening to you as you're essentially trying to figure this stuff out yourself. So I would just encourage people to just do it themselves. And if you're really able to differentiate yourself and have some talent, someone will hopefully take notice. Uh, don't be shy about getting yourself out there, but don't be deterred either if you don't have a big audience because it, that takes a long, long time, but there's nothing stopping you from just flipping on um, a recorder to to get a microphone and and have your own have your own outlet. Yeah. John, I said it many times on this. I'm so happy to see you doing so well. Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of people in this industry and you were definitely one of my favorite and, and, you know, it's, it's great to see you uh, doing great things. Cause I know you put the work in. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, just remind people where they can get a hold of you on social media, anything you got with post wrestling that you got coming up that you want to plug uh, the floor is yours, sir. Cool. Uh, well for me on, uh, easiest ways, uh, on Twitter or Instagram at I am John Pollock. Many people misspell my last name. It's P-O-L-L-O-C-K. So you can uh, check me out there. And then uh, the go-to spot is postwrestling.com. All of our shows live there. And that uh, can also take you to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash postwrestling. Uh, We're going to have a new Rewind Away coming out on Friday morning. And then Sunday, free show for everybody. I'm doing my uh, 2018 MMA prediction show with Ariel Hawani of MMA fighting where we will go over his predictions from 2017 and then make a whole new list for 2018. So for MMA listeners out there, that show will drop at postwrestling.com on Sunday. Awesome. We'll definitely have to check that out. And John, I got to get you back on again. I definitely want to see how the the site goes and, you know, say, you know, six months from now or something, it'd be good to get sort of an update. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear uh, everything's going off to a good start. Um, Everyone watching this right now, you can follow me on Twitter at Lynch on sports, Uh, lots of stuff dropping on fightful coming up this week. I just did an interview yesterday with Chell Sonnen. I talked to Randa Marcos, talked to Andre Feely, Uh, lots of good content. And and also uh, for those who might be watching before the UFC St. Louis card, we've got a bunch of interviews and a pros pick video up there, uh, you know, just with the fighters. Uh, given their picks for uh, who's coming up here and uh, we'll be back next week. I'm going to be away, but I'm still going to try and do the show if I get good internet. So I uh, still have to figure out the guest lineup and everything like that, but uh, be sure to tune in next week. And I want to thank everyone for watching. This is a lot of fun and uh, yeah, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next week. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.